Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Wednesday, January the 17th, 2024. Always nice to get a bit of a scoop on this show. And today, as it happens, we have the launch of an important new nonprofit, I think, called Fairly Trained. Its founder and CEO is Ed Newton Rex. Some of you will have heard of him. He made a bit of a wave a couple of months ago. He resigned his job at Generative AI, uh, one of the top generative, uh, he re sorry, he resigned his job at Stability AI, one of Generative AI's most uh, high profile companies. And he did it, and he's going to put it, I think, in his own words, because I think he was concerned that some of the so called training content was actually being taken, whether that's from Stability AI or other companies. Got a lot of headlines, very interesting development. We've done some shows on accusations from the creative community, from artists, graphic artists, writers, on the way in which generative AI is, so to speak, borrowing its content to create its intelligence. And as I said, um, uh, Ed quit high profile and has put um, his money or his mouth where his money is or his money where his mouth is with the creation, maybe not so much money, given it's a nonprofit of fairly trained. He's joining us from his garage in Palo Alto, rather messy garage. So we see a nice swimming pool instead. Uh, Ed, congratulations on the new company. It's just started. Tell me what you're trying to do with fairly trained. Thanks. I, I really appreciate it. It's nice to be able to speak about it on this day of launch. Um, yes, yeah, so, uh, the, the aim of fairly trained is to try to get a you know, help help creators get a fairer a fairer deal from generative AI that is trained on their work. Um, you know, generative AI is getting incredibly powerful, uh, and and I think will have many benefits. Um, but a lot of the uh, generative AI systems out there are trained on uh, trained on people's creative output um, without them saying that's okay, without any form of compensation or anything. Um, and, and I think there are two emerging philosophies developing. There, there are the companies who go and just scrape whatever data they want, and they say, "Well, we can we can do this. We we think we're legally allowed to do it." People disagree with that. Um, and there are the companies who say, "Well, actually, we don't want to take that approach. We want to work with creators, and we're going to go and license our training data, and we're going to work. We're going to be more creator friendly." Um, and what struck me over the last couple of months is that it's it's it can be really hard to know which companies are, are taking which approach. Uh, I, th I think there's confusion about which companies are taking which approach. And so what we're trying to do is highlight that difference with a simple certification to start with um, that certifies AI models and generative AI companies uh, who, who train models that are not trained on copyrighted work without consent, that are not just going and scraping copyrighted work. So yeah, we, we're trying to make this difference clearer so that people like individuals, companies, when they're choosing which generative AI provider to use, you know, can hopefully have a clearer idea of which ones, you know, are more, more friendly to creators. Use this word scraping. Um, Ed, is that a euphemism for stealing? Uh, I, I think stealing is a pretty uh, strong word that I I probably wouldn't want to use, but... Um, Borrowing, you know, I mean, shall we say? Well, yeah. yeah. Clearly, you know, what is being done in many companies is they are using material that they have just 
got from the internet and they're doing so without any permission from the people who made that material who own that material and they're doing so without payment any sort of payment to those sounds people. like stealing to me at least maybe maybe i'm wrong uh, let's, <laughs> let's, let's talk a little bit about your very high profile and very successful career at stability ai uh your ai music uh product was one of the best inventions of 2023. Tell me what you did at Stability AI. Uh, yeah, so at Stability AI, I ran the audio generation team. Uh, it was mostly focused on music generation. I've been in music generation for a while before that. Um, and uh, we built a product called Stable Audio, uh, and it was uh, launched in September of 2023. Uh, and it was, I think, you know, I, I feel pretty confident in saying when it was launched, it was the state-of-the-art music generation model. Uh, it may not be anymore. Uh, people have released really, really good models even since then. The field is moving so quickly. Um, but it, it's a great, I, I'm really proud of it uh, and I'm proud of the team. Uh, it, it's, I think, a good product, uh, but most importantly for me, it, um, you know, it, I, it took a really good approach to, to the training data behind it. Uh, that was really, really important to me and to the team. Um, and it, you know, so we went and licensed the training data behind that model. Um, and so, yeah, we were, we were thrilled when it went down pretty well. Um, and yeah, I, I think what it really showed me was what I already strongly believed, but I think we proved this to a certain degree, which is that you can build really good models, state-of-the-art models um, based on licensed training data. You don't, you don't have to take the approach that some companies are taking, um, you know, of going and scraping uh, work. So if you license the data, I mean, st Stability AI claims to be, and this is classic Silicon Valley language, you're, you've spent six months in, in Palo Alto, so you're familiar with this kind of language. AI by the people, for the people, rather like Orwell's um, Animal Farm. Some of these people perhaps are more equal than others. Um, but why did you quit uh, Stability AI? I don't want to turn this into a conversation about Stability AI. But if you did indeed license the product for stable audio, what was the problem? Yeah, no, I, I have a lot of uh, time and respect for, for for many of the people at Stability AI, um, you know, and I don't think they're the worst offender. Um, but ultimately, um, you know, I quit more from, it more felt like I quit from a, a, a group of companies than one individual company. I mean, my protest was at, you know, something specific as Stability AI, but at the same time, it's something that lots of AI companies uh, do as well. Um, so, so uh, and in particular, it was the response that Stability AI gave to the Copyright Office. The Copyright Office uh, asked, put out a general call for opinions on copyright. In the UK, right? No, this was actually in the US. It was actually right. in the US. Um, and they put out a general call for opinions on generative AI and copyright. And, um, Stability, like many other companies, uh, put in a public response uh, that said what many other big AI companies said, which was we we are of the position that um, training on work without consent, training on people's work without consent is a fair use of copyrighted data. And so it can be done without consent and without payment. Um, and, um, and and it was in particular, it was it was that um, response to the Copyright Office that, that, that triggered my uh, my resignation. Um, but I, yeah, I want to stress that, you know, stability are far from the only company who take that approach. Now, it's an approach I disagree with. Uh, it's an approach that um, I personally have never put into practice while I've been working on generative AI models. Um, but it's an approach lots of people take. And, and, and it's an approach that I would like to 
you know, try to highlight that you don't need to take. And that's really the point of this certification to show there are other ways of doing this. There are companies out there who are, who are taking a different approach. You've been critical of people, Ed, who believe that um, it's an honor to be to, to, to have your creativity be used uh, by, by these generative AI platforms, even without our permission. How would you respond to people like Vinod Kosler, very influential Silicon Valley venture capitalist? You argue that throughout history, people have always borrowed. It's the nature of creativity. So indeed, it should be an honor if someone's inspired, whether or but by someone else's creativity, whether or not you've given them formal permission. Yeah, I, th I think you know that's a kind of argument you hear a lot, and I, I think the problem with it for me is that you know that has been the way things have worked throughout history. Let's be clear, there are you know there are laws stopping you from borrowing too much and um, you know do, doing certain things with it. So it's not like we have this totally permissive culture of borrowing and doing whatever you like. You know, and I think that sometimes people sort of try to claim that that, that we always do. Um, you know, so there are laws in place to stop uh, outright copying and things like that, and 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 to a certain extent borrowing, depending on what it is. But I think I think that it's misleading anyway, even even despite that. Um, you know, because ultimately, you know, these AI systems that are being trained now, these these are not like people. These, these scale. People don't scale. Um, you know, it, it it has been part of the social contract for hundreds of years. You know, the understanding that you will write a piece of music or you will paint a painting. And yeah, sure, you'll you'll be paid for that in whatever way is is, is sort of current at the time. Uh, you might be paid for that, hopefully. Um, but ultimately, as as part of that kind of social contract, you know that people are going to learn from it. People always have, right? That this is every creator who has been brought up in the twenty first in the twentieth and twenty first centuries and long before has known that people are going to learn from what they do, and that's just baked into it. Um, you know, generative AI has come along very recently. Uh, it's it's not baked into the social contract in the same way. People haven't been expecting it. When someone posted a, a picture on uh, Instagram five years ago, you know, or, or posted a picture on a, on, a, on a stock image site or whatever it was, they didn't realize that this was going to ultimately be scraped by AI companies and trained on. That that was not expected in the same way as as people learning is. And and ultimately, these these AI systems they scale. Um, they scale. In, in in just gigantic proportions compared to a single human. A single human cannot compete with an entire stock image, uh, stock photography uh, industry. A single AI model can compete with that entire industry. So I think that it's misleading to compare the two. Um, and I, 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 you know, I think it's done, you know, it, it's obviously done in order to try to justify the huge amounts of scraping and the huge amounts of money that have been poured into companies that have been scraping this material and have been training their models in this way. You're quite active on social media. I've been following you on X, formerly known as Twitter. Are you suggesting that every time we put something up on X or Instagram or Facebook or TikTok, there needs to be a way for us to give other people, other generative AI platforms permission to borrow that creativity to create some sort of abstract intelligence? I think in general, people should have the right to consent as to as, as to whether or not their creative output, you know, which does fall under copyright, um, you know, wh whether that, you know, can be used by different AI systems, by different generative AI systems, you know, they're ultimately, especially in situations where 
those AI systems are going to, to compete with them as a creator. I think that's particularly important. I think people should have the right to make a call about that, you know, to decide, hey, are the other terms are, on which I'm being offered this, uh, you know, amenable, you know, to, to, to my way of thinking? Am I happy with this? So, yeah, I mean, I look, and I think there are different ways of doing it on different platforms. I, I think, you know, I do think that sort of posting a, posting a tweet, you know, is different from, you know, writing a symphony. Um, I do think that sort of, especially if you compare kind of, you know, you've got to bear in mind there is a legal framework here. There are, you know, platforms have terms and conditions that may well sign you up to your work being being used in these kinds of ways. And if, but if that's the case, I think that ultimately then consumers should make a choice about which platforms they use. And I think ultimately if, you know, if technology platforms, um, you know, uh, overstretch, uh, you know, what is what, what is acceptable uh, and go and train models on people's work, maybe with the right to do so, but where, but where it's not really acceptable to a large proportion of their user base, I would hope that consumers move with their feet, you know, uh, act with their feet, vote with their feet and, and go somewhere else, you know? And I, I think that's kind of part of the point of this certification is to say, well, you know, yes, there's the legal frameworks and yes, there's court cases and yes, all of this stuff is going on. But ultimately, while all of that is being decided, let's give people the tools to, to vote with their feet. You know, let's, let's let consumer action be a driving factor in, in trying to get more generative AI companies to take an ethical approach here. Ed, there seems to be two corporate responses, certainly on the publishing front, to uh, generative AI. The first is Axel Springer, their deal, which got a lot of visibility last month with OpenAI, a deal that we're not entirely sure what it means, but certainly an agreement between OpenAI and um, and Axel Springer to 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 combine uh, Axel Springer content and OpenAI intelligence. Uh, I know that OpenAI have been quite active in pursuing publishers. Tim O'Reilly of O'Reilly Publishing was on the show a few weeks ago, saying that he got a call from Sam Altman too on that front. And then, of course, there's the response of the New York Times, which is taking OpenAI to court. Do you favour one? of those two responses to particularly to open AI, which is the dominant player, certainly when it comes to um, AI text? I don't think I do favor one of those. I think in both cases, what you've got is you've got a rights holder, a content owner, you know, who is making a decision as to how they are comfortable with their content being used by a generative AI company. And Axel Springer have clear, clearly got to a point where they're comfortable with what OpenAI are doing, and and I think that's their decision to make, and and I think you've got to respect that. Um, you know, I, I'm not a I'm not a luddite. I'm not I'm not anti generative AI. I think generative AI is very powerful, and I think if if people can come up with licensing deals that work for all involved, um, then that's great. You know, uh, but similarly, I think people need to have the right to say, well, no, you know what, these these terms are not good enough for us, um, and that's clearly what the New York Times thinks. Um, so I, I don't, I don't favour either. I think they're both very justified in in doing what they're doing. Um, you know, I hope we can get to a. I hope we can get to much broader licensing where where lots more people are, are are figuring out licensing models that work for both the AI companies and for the creators behind the training data. So I hope the licensing models keep developing and keep um, keep coming up. But at the same time, I think you know if 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 company if AI companies you know continue to uh, to ignore licensing and to say, well, we're, we're just going to use this, whatever the case, even if we don't, even if we can't license from you, you know, I think they should fully expect to, 
you know, be, be, be taken to court over that. Ed, you're talking to me from northern Palo Alto, a few miles from Stanford University, where, of course, Larry Page and Sergey Brin, as grad students in the late 90s, founded Google remarkably by somehow appropriating all the Stanford University servers to download the entire internet, which I think reflects the, the innovation of smart kids like them. One of the criticisms of this new wave of innovation, and you've touched on this in some of your interviews, um, is that it only seems to be big players who are participating in the AI revolution. OpenAI uh, has the backing of billions of dollars and, of course, Microsoft. Are you concerned that um, real innovation of, of, of graduate students, of people like Bryn and Page back in the 90s, uh, that that isn't possible in this new AI economy? I think it is possible. I think that, um, you know, small teams, small, you know, uh, teams without much funding can still get licenses for training data. Um, you know, you can, there, there are models for licensing training data that don't involve paying millions of dollars up front. You know, you can, you can do a revenue share with the, with the training data providers, for instance, as well as one obvious solution, which is already being implemented by a number of companies. So I think that small tech companies, can, you know, I, I think in general, large, you know, I, I think the AI companies, the large AI companies, you know, who, who, who do claim that this is all fair use will have you believe that actually what they're doing is in small companies interest because licensing would overly favor the big players. But, you know, I think there are many ways that small players can also license training data. So I don't think that's much of a barrier. Um, I do worry about smaller content providers and, and creators. You know, I think in general, there's, you know, it does seem like there is a uh, more of a willingness from companies like OpenAI and other big AI companies to go and license, you know, license content from the big players, um, you know, and, and sort of not bother with the long tail of creators. Um, and, and I suppose you can understand that position. Presumably it's risk-based. You know, they're thinking, well, look, we're more likely to be sued by the big players, so let's go and license from them. We're probably not going to be sued by the smaller players. Um, and I think that's not a good reason, you know, to, to that, that's, that's not a good set of reasons to base your licensing decisions on. I, I would really like to see uh, large AI companies, large generative AI companies licensing across the board, not just from the big players who they're scared will sue them. Uh, Ed, I was in DLD last week in Munich, lots of big players, venture capitalists, journalists on the tech fronts, Europe's biggest tech event of the year. A lot of people were suggesting that when it comes to regulation, the problem, and I actually did a panel with a, a, a member of the European uh, Parliament, hmm. one of the problems with aggressive regulation is it favors big companies, the big tech companies. My wife is a prominent lawyer at Google, so I'm all too familiar with the, the size of the teams and the scale of their legal efforts. Do you think that when it comes to regulation, aggressive regulation, um, if it's done too aggressively, it actually favors large tech companies? You know, I think clearly very aggressive regulation is always, is always going to run the risk that it's going to favor, you know, the companies who can afford to spend the money on, on figuring out ways around it. Um, you know, so, so yeah, I mean, absolutely to a certain extent. But as I say, I, I think where we are at the moment and the actual regulation that is, is, is sort of potentially coming in and, and that's being discussed, you know, I mean, a, a lot of the regulation in my, in my mind is already in place. I mean, you've got copyright law already. Um, and, 
you know, I, I think there's a good argument that actually the existing law essentially covers what's going on and says, well, no, this isn't okay without licensing. And now people debate that, right? But but ultimately, like, as I say, you are you are able as a small company without much funding to go and license training data. It's possible, you know, a bunch of the certified companies uh, who've been certified by Fairly Trained have done that. Um, so, so that's definitely possible. So I think that, you know, regulation does not stop innovation here. Sure, if it goes really, really far, maybe it would cause a difficulty, but I don't think we're anywhere near that point. I don't think there's anywhere, any realistic danger of that in, in the near future. And I think on the flip side, you know, without regulation, it is clear that you, you end up exploiting every creator out there and, and you probably end up hollowing out entirely uh, whole swathes of the creative industries very, very rapidly. Um, you know, where, you know, because these industries are just being replaced by technology that is being built actively by using their work. And so, so I think, yes, there are always dangers of regulation, but you've got to, you've got to ask what happens if there's no regulation here as well. Um, and I think that's a much worse outcome. You're sounding quite dire now, almost existential. Uh, the, the creators haven't had a great experience in the digital revolution so far. I've written books like so many other people about the promise of the internet versus the reality. Uh, we had all sorts of language back at we in Web 2.0 about technology being for the people, by the people. But of course, it was only the Web 2.0 companies that benefited. How dire existential is this threat broadly? You're very familiar with the music industry, uh, but for filmmakers and writers and journalists, how dire is the threat if, uh, if things uh, don't work out, Ed? Yeah, I think the threat to the creative industries here is existential if things are not done right. Uh, I think that's absolutely the case. I think if you moved to a world for instance, I don't think we'll move to this world. I hope we don't. But, you know, lots of people argue we should. Lots of very powerful people in technology. If you move to a world where uh, training these models is decided to be a fair use, um, so you, you can do it without consent, without payment or anything, and, and, and that is ruled on in, in, in the courts, um, I think that is existential for the creative industries. It, it, will, not, uh, it will not destroy every creator's uh, income. Uh, in particular, I think the, the sort of... Um, essentially recognized names across all creative industries will, will probably be fine and may even benefit. Um, you know, there, 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 are, there are great ways you can use generative AI. If you're a famous pop star, you can start to, you know, you can use generative AI to do things like translate your, you know, translate your music into other languages. Similarly, if you're a writer, you can use it to, to, to translate and things like this. There are, there are many, many ways you can use it. And I think that ultimately people really care about those uh, those famous names, those famous faces, they care about the people. So I think, you know, pop stars and the equivalent in other industries, I think will be fine and may even benefit, but, but everyone else will suffer in, in, in a, you know, in a way that, that I think is, is possibly existential for the industries themselves. I think, you know, ultimately you are building technology that, that can replace, um, you know, can replace essentially, I think most work that is in the creative industries that is more functional, um, you know, that is done for a specific purpose where maybe the, the consumer doesn't actually know who made that thing. Um, and a lot of that, you know, if we're not careful, will be replaced without any compensation going to, to the people who made it possible, the creators of the training data in the first place. And if you hollow out, you know, entire, uh, you know, if you hollow out the kind of that level of these industries, I think you're in a very, very dangerous position where, where people all the way up the stack can't support themselves, even famous people, even, even the pop stars, have trouble getting on the ladder because there is not the work 
to 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 support them. So I think I, th I think this is existentially uh, if it's not done right, and that's why we need as many initiatives as we can, you know, to try to make sure the creators are treated fairly. We we don't have to stop this technology, and we shouldn't stop this technology, but we should stop this technology if it's if it's exploiting people, um, and we should make sure that it's done right. And I think that's what what you're doing at um, at uh, Fairly Trained is so interesting. Uh, you're the founder and CEO. You've got some high-profile advisors, including Max uh, Richter, uh, whose work I really like. What are you trying to do at Fairly Trained? What's the goal? The goal at Fairly Trained is to, uh, is to help creators get a fairer deal um, in generative AI training. Um, you know, there are, there, are, there are these two types of companies emerging, half of which go and scrape data and claim it's fair use, and half of which go and, go and actually license training data and work hand in hand with creators and make it work for them. And I think people don't really know the difference between these companies. They don't know which is which. And the point of Fairly Trained is by offering a certification for those companies who take a fairer approach, uh, it's to make that much, much more obvious to uh, to consumers and to potential partners of these companies so that the people who do care about creators can decide which companies to work with and can can, can weigh this uh, weigh this as a factor. Are you, in a sense, then touting yourself as a, as a moral gatekeeper? You have fairly trained certified models. Uh, some people might say, why would we trust fairly trained any more than open AI or stability AI? Well, I think that um, I don't think we're trying to be a moral gatekeeper in the, you know, the, the point of a certification like this is that it's up to the consumer whether they take heed of it or not. They can ignore it. And a bunch of people will. A bunch of people don't care about creators' rights, you know, being uh, what I would say trampled on in this way, but I think they wouldn't say that. Um, you know, a lot of people don't mind and a lot of people just want to use the generative AI and they can ignore this certification and that's fine. The point of this certification is so that the people who do care can make a better decision and can have better, better, better tools at their disposal, disposal to make that decision. I think in terms of trust, you know, I mean, I think you can trust OpenAI. OpenAI tell you what they do. Um, you know, they train on whatever they like, with, you know, without, without consent, right? They, they make, and, and I want to stress, it's not just OpenAI here, it's lots and lots of AI companies. Um, so I think that, I think there's not so much of an issue of trust here, um, you know, in the, I don't think OpenAI are lying. I don't think any of these big AI companies are lying. They're being pretty clear about what they do. Uh, I think consumers just have to make a choice. So uh, this is for consumers rather than creators. Are you saying that if you were... Uh, uh, yeah, I understand. Uh, final question, um, uh, Ed. Uh, if cr creators... Um, it, it's for consumers of these AI platforms. Yeah, um, exactly. Exactly. The, the certification is really for consumers and companies who might, you know, and companies who are consumers of these AI tools, you know, to, to be able to make a better decision if they if they care about this issue. If, if, if you as an individual care about this issue, then this gives you the chance to find the companies who are treating creators fairly.